So we all know that sequels, sequels are going to be a thing or things that are either loved or hated amongst fans. Now, I'm one of those fans. I don't mind sequels. Um, I don't mind when you give me, you know, several sequels. That's perfectly fine with me. As long as you up the ante and, you know, you don't, it, it doesn't become too repetitive. You know, even movies like Friday the 13th, which, which a lot of people hate and they find, you know, they find that those movies do the same thing. And this is not me throwing shade. This is actual factual shit. Like there are a lot of people that say, oh, it's the same movie over and over, but I can appreciate something like Jason lives, which is my favorite sequel in the series where, you know, it's like, okay, we're not just going to have camp counselors running around, uh, uh, running around and teens having sex, smoking weed, getting killed by Jason. No, we're going to make Jason supernatural. So it gives him more shit to play around with in the film. I can appreciate that. I can appreciate a under the most underrated entry in that franchise, which was the next movie, The New Blood. I can appreciate that because they brought a super, a different supernatural element to it where this girl has like telekinesis. She can, you know, give Jason the fight of his life and all this other shit. Now, when they go off the deep end and they start, you know, introducing ghosts and ghosts and goblins and shit literally goblins yo and uh jumping from body by that's a little too much for me but i can if it works i can appreciate when sequels you know try something different and they you know sometimes you throw a lot of things to the wall that don't stick and sometimes they do man you know that's just that's just the way of the world of of, of sequels man so like i said they will forever be loved and hated amongst fans i don't mind them man as long as they're you know they don't necessarily have to be plausible depending on the property but you know i feel like certain movies don't need sequels you know uh, certain movies are perfectly fine by themselves there's no need for a follow-up um train to busan uh, is a perfect example of a movie that needs no sequel whatsoever. Yeah, they set it up. Zombies are still existing in the world. There were survivors at the end, but I don't need anything else because Train to Busan uh, it crept its way into my top five zombie movies of all time. And that is very fucking hard to do because there's a shortage of great zombie movies. So when I saw the trailer for something like Peninsula, which is the sequel to Train to Busan, I'm like, eh, doesn't look anywhere nearly as good as the first movie. And with that being said, we didn't really need it. So but you know, I like I said, I'm one of those people I don't mind sequels, you know, as long as as long as they give me the goods that I asked for. But um in this instance, people, with this episode I'm about to do, this is something I was really anxious to do, but I just I couldn't get my you know, I couldn't get my list and my format together the way I wanted to, but lo and behold, here it is. Uh but I just want to jump right into this, people. Uh this is this episode is just gonna be about basically when sequels did way too fucking much man you know and this is there are going to be some examples where sequels did way too much and i applaud them for it and it worked and there are going to be cases where it did not work badly badly in their favor but for the most you know i can't tell you um i can't tell you uh how balanced this will be but um i'm just going to jump right into it people now let me just say my number one example for when sequels did way too much this is um this is my favorite entry in this franchise and I you know I'm I'm not biased because it did make this list. There there are things that this sequel did that was way 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 too fucking much and it's it's a very it's a very risky thing because you don't want to make your movie too cluttered because it takes away from the story, it takes away from the character development, you know, um it it, it kind of takes people out of the movie and it it just gives you a cluttered mess. But nonetheless, Number one example for when sequels did way too much people, Spider-Man 3. Spider-Man 3, which came out in 2007. I actually went to the movies to see this, man. It was um, 
probably one of my I would put it in my top 10 theater experiences because I was so ready for it, man. And, um, you know, Spider-Man 3, it was directed by Sam Raimi. It was also one of the things I want to put an emphasis on in this episode are the writers because the directors are one thing but the writers that throw all of these ideas in together they have to be held accountable and that's no diss to anybody i'm you know i've never made a movie before so i can't you know my shit talking can only go but so far but if i do shit talk i have to big them up for actually having a film that's on screen whether it flopped or whether it didn't but the writers of this movie Sam Raimi, who also directed it, he wrote it uh, with his brother Ivan Raimi, and they also wrote it with someone named Alvin Sargent. I hope his name isn't Sargent, because y'all know I always fuck these last names up. That's a given, and I don't do it on purpose, y'all know that. But, um, now the first question, you know, with, with Spider-Man 3, we had to ask ourselves, did the movies lack prior? You know, like, did Spider-Man 1 and Spider-Man 2, did they lack, you know, overall? And... My answer, you know, you guys can go ahead and answer in your head right now, but my answer is yes. For me personally, the movies prior did lack because um, for me, again, these are just my opinions. I don't want nobody coming for me with pitchforks and sending, you know, uh, voice comments and coming in the DMs and the, the, the messenger and all that shit. That's I mean, that's fine. Voice your opinions, but don't come for me with the pitchforks, man. We all got opinions. But I say the movies prior lack because... I know the original Spider-Man movie was an origin story. I know it's going to be a slow burn. You have to see Peter Parker turn into Spider-Man. You have to see him become the superhero. I'm all right with that. I'm perfectly fine with that shit. However, I feel like William Dafoe was terribly miscast as the Green Goblin. And I hated his fucking costume. So with that one villain who I'm not even invested in, who I really don't even care about, um who ultimately, I, you know, I know the stakes are kind of going to be high because it's one of his most popular, uh, you know, villains. I, I really didn't give a fuck about uh, the villain, and it was just one villain. It's Spider-Man and this one villain, and I, I, I did not really care for William Dafoe. And that's not to say that William Dafoe is not a great actor, because he is. I just feel like he was not the guy for that job, no matter how much he smiled, no matter how much he scowled or growled and all that crazy little possessed shit he was doing you know it, it's an okay movie it's okay for an origin story but i've seen better way better in you know superhero origin movies as for spider-man 2 um same shit with me same shit with me and actually i won't lie to you i found a better appreciation for spider-man 2 because that scene with doc ock you know waking up in that room and his mechanical arms murdering everybody in the room that shit plays out like a straight-up horror movie that is Sam Raimi tapping into his horror roots that is one of the best scenes in the entire movie but again it was a villain I didn't care about who wasn't really threatening to me and he didn't really pose the threat that I thought he would and again Alfred Molina is not to say he's not a good actor he's a great actor underrated if you ask me but he was miscast I did not buy him at all as a uh, you know as doc ock man so again that movie lacked for me now when i went to the theater to see spider-man 3 it was something completely different i didn't ex i saw the trailers and all of that good stuff but i didn't expect them to keep hitting me with punch after punch after punch and it was like so unex like some things the way they played out were so unexpected some of the action scenes they had in there were so unexpected and they were cool as shit but you know in the case of doing way too much what did we get? This is what we got, people. We got Sandman, played by Thomas Hayden Church. And 
you know, his his he was very much crowbarred into the movie. You know, he just so happened to stumble into a fucking, uh, you know, into that machine that created him into Sandman. And they're just like, well, we got something in the we got something stuck in the machine. He's like, oh, it's probably just a bird. It'll just fly away. Fire it up, man. And it's like, nah, I wasn't really buying that shit at all. That they just crowbarred that into there so hard. We got him in there. Um, and I won't lie, uh, even though this is my favorite entry in the series in the franchise, Thomas Hayden Church was kind of miscast as Sandman. I could, I didn't have like any like empathy for him much at all, even though he did have a daughter in the film who was sick and he was trying to steal money for her and all this other stuff. But I, I you know, there's nothing against him. I just feel like he was miscast. We also got the new Goblin, Goblin Junior, as Peter Parker called him, and of course that was James Franco. I actually like that angle because he was in the two movies prior and you can see in part two, he kind of was, he was on that quest for vengeance. You know, he was about to kill Spider-Man. He didn't, he didn't ultimately do it because he found out that, you know, um, Peter, his best friend, Peter Parker was Spider-Man. So, uh, I, I, I didn't mind the aspect of, of the new goblin, especially the fact that they teamed up at the end and you know, that you had to remember they were best friends and I like the amnesia aspect of it, but it was a lot, man. It was a lot. And you know, we got the black suit, you know, the symbiote uh, just fucking crash landed out of nowhere. No explanation, no nothing. The symbiote crash landed and it jumped on. The, I think it was uh, Peter Parker's motorcycle because him and MJ were looking at the stars and, the you know, on the spider web and all that romantic shit. But we got the black suit, the symbiote. We got emo Peter Parker who was walking around dancing. I know a lot of people hated that scene. I personally loved that scene because it finally showed Peter Parker take the stick out his ass, man. Like he fought, and I know it took a symbiote, an alien symbiote, to latch onto him and make him kind of emo and evil. But I didn't mind that scene at all. The only part I hated about that was the fact that he slapped MJ, and he kind of like, he kind of looked like he, he, he was upset with what he did. But when he, when he first backhanded her, he kind of was just like, "Yo, I told you to stop." He didn't say that, but he had that face on. It was like, "I told you to stop hitting me on some baby boy Jody type shit." But again they they're throwing a lot of things at the wall and um one of the last things they threw at the wall which i know people hated and this was a really 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 big breaking point for people to really hate this film is you know they threw venom in the mix and you know we had eddie brock topher grace played eddie brock slash venom uh and let me just put this out there i the venom in the tom hardy movie is very much comic book accurate but the Venom in Spider-Man 3 looks more realistic. Uh, that's just, you know, just my personal opinion, people. Like I said, don't come for me with the pitch force. But now what do we got? We got Sandman, New Goblin, the Black Suit, Emo Peter Parker. We got Venom. We got all this shit they threw at the wall, people. Was it too much? For me, no. No, no, no. It was not. Because like I said, those two movies prior... They were not snooze fest in my personal opinion, but they were kind of like, all right, can you give me a little bit more? Can you give me a little bit more? So when you give me Sandman, whether these people are miscast or whatever case may be crowbar, when you give me all of this shit in a Spider-Man movie, when I went through two movies, two long ass Sam Raimi movies, which aren't terrible, by the way, but when I go through two long ass movies, when I, when I'm expecting spider-man and marvel and i grew up with the with the cartoon and the comics and the toys and stuff you know i'm like okay i i, I need a little more so when you give me all of this stuff was it too much no it wasn't now the last question we gotta ask did it work for me absolutely it's my favorite entry in the series man they gave me everything that the two the two movies prior did not give me and then some 
you know, but you, you know, it could have easily, for me, it could have easily toppled to the ground and just been a terrible, terrible movie. I don't think it was. I think it's the best entry in a series because it gives me everything that I need. It gives you that, that trilogy type of, um, it gives you that trilogy type of, uh, you know, shock and revelation where you find out that, you know, uh, Thomas Hayden Church's Sandman character, he accidentally shot, you know, uh, Ben Parker or Spider-Man killed the wrong person in the beginning. You get that revelation, the trilogy thing that they have to do. That's that's mandatory. Basically, you know, you got some venom that actually look cool. He has some cool cool scenes for what he was given, even though to people say Topher Grace was miscast. I liked his, uh, you know, I liked how the symbiote, you know, kind of made him evil. I like everything that they threw at the wall basically it stuck for me people and i know that's a very 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 unpopular opinion but that's that's what i have here on the tutor reviews podcast people like but in my opinion overall spider-man 3 you know it, it did too much but it worked out in in his favor for me personally so moving on to number two and this this is one that gives you way more than I just mentioned, a lot more. And I, I don't know if people are, I don't know how torn people are in this because I don't know too many people who are actually fans, who can call themselves fans of the franchise. I actually am. It's, a, it's my favorite Guilty Pleasure franchise ever. Um, Resident Evil Retribution, which is the fifth movie in the series, came out 2012. Of course, written and directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. Let me say something real quick about Paul W.S. Anderson. He wrote and directed the first movie. Alexander Witt directed the second movie. Russell Mulcahy directed the third. And then Paul W.S. Anderson would come back on for Resident Evil. Afterlife, Retribution, the final chapter. So um, he's he's like the, the, the brains and the brawn behind the majority of the franchise. You know, it's kind of his baby. But that being said, people... Did the movies lack prior to Resident Evil, the four Resident Evil movies we got prior to this retribution? In my opinion, hell no, the Resident Evil movies didn't lack because they give you a lot of shit in these movies and they still had so much more to offer that they didn't show. That was fine. The first movie, what did they give us? They gave us the mansion. They give us a quick glimpse of the crows, even though it was very short-lived, the mansion and the crows. But we get the dogs. We get the zombies. We get the liquor. We get a train that wasn't even in the original Resident Evil game, if I'm not mistaken. I wouldn't know. I didn't beat the game. I don't have the patience for those fucking games. I was just talking about it in the Cinemaniacs group. Shout out to the Cinemaniacs Facebook group. But I was just talking about this yesterday. Um, I don't have the patience for these games, but I think the train was in Resident Evil 2 or 3, if I'm not mistaken. I want to say part 2. Doesn't even matter. It's the game. We're talking about the movies here. But uh, the first movie did not lack for me. It's actually, um, the more and more I watch it, the more I see they paid attention to detail. And they do have a lot of shit from the Resident Evil game uh, in that in that movie. So the first one was fine. The second one was a little more tame for me. But what does the second one give you? It gives you the dogs again. It gives you nemesis. It gives you zombies. It gives you zombies in the street and the stars members fighting the zombies in the streets, which is a nice nod to Resident Evil 2. Everything was basically like very much out in the open, out in the streets. You know, cop cars crashed here and there. Uh, what else did they give us? They gave us Jill Valentine. They gave us um, Carlos Oliveira from Resident Evil 2, I think. Oh, no, no, it was Resident Evil 3, and they gave us uh, Nikolai from Resident Evil 3. It gave us characters, and it's kind of scattered the way they introduce these characters in sequels that are in different games or whatever. That's neither here nor there. Then, let's think of uh, Resident Evil 3. 
you know they gave up uh, resident evil extinction which is the best one in my opinion they gave us crows full-on crows alfred hitchcock the birds on steroids you know they gave us the tyrant from the original one they gave us more dogs they gave us zombies they gave us literally the zombie apocalypse the epitome of the zombie apocalypse on screen they gave us a lot of shit in that movie um that i that i could appreciate and resident evil afterlife they introduced uh you know the Las Plaga zombies. Oh, I didn't even mention that they introduced Claire Redfield in the third movie. In the fourth one, they introduced Chris Redfield. They introduced Wesker. Actually, in Wesker, I'm sorry, was introduced in the third movie. Um, you know, you have all these elements in the in, in the fourth movie. You got you, they introduced one of the best who had one of the best scenes in Resident Evil Afterlife, which was the Axe Man. So part four had a lot of shit going for it. And even still, there was so much more they could have threw in those movies that they didn't. But the things they throw in here, they know what type of movies they're making. Resident Evil, the movies are the Fast and Furious. They are the Fast and Furious franchise of the horror sci-fi slash Matrix slash action type of world. They know exactly what the movies are. They're going to up the ante every time. It's going to be batshit nuts. And they're going to make sure people that are hardcore fans of the source material love it. Um, now, with Resident Evil Retribution, like I said, the movies didn't lack prior. Now, what did we get <laughs> in Resident Evil Retribution? Well, we got the Las Plagas parasite zombies in the opening scene, which was a clear ripoff of Dawn of the Dead. Let's keep it real. We got Ada Wong played by Lee Bing Bing, who looks dead on like Ada Wong from the video game. We got Barry, one of the best, you know, it looked like um, 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 Kevin, I almost called him Chris Duran. Kevin Duran, it, I, he didn't even look like he was doing cosplay. It could have easily looked like somebody was doing, um, you know, Barry barry burton cosplay but kevin uh, uh kevin durand was the best choice you can get for um and i know they had an actual actor when resident evil first came out the video game and the guy was a you know he looked a lot older but you had barry burton who even had the gun they had his costume down packed they had his revolver down packed everything was on point leon who looked like leon from the later games that was a johan herb was the guy's name who played him he was pretty pretty decent I think the actor's name was Sean Ashmore to play Wesker. You get Evil Jill Valentine. You get Evil Rain, who was a clone. You know, Rain, Michelle Rodriguez's character, died in the first movie. You get Evil Carlos. You get Evil One. I can't remember that actor's name, but the guy who got chopped up with the lasers in the first one. He's back in it. You get a big-ass liquor that's chasing after everybody and wrapping them up in sticky cocoons. You get a good Rain clone that, you know, ends up getting killed by the liquor. Anyhow, you get a fucking Alice clone who has a daughter. You get a Carlos clone in the beginning of the movie, like I said, which was a Dawn of the Dead ripoff. You get those Nazi zombies with, with, with Tommy guns and machine guns and shit. And you get not one, but two X-Men in one of the best scenes in the entire movie. They threw, like, they, uh, they had everything in one room. And everybody, I feel like they just had the whole cast and crew. They're like, everybody pick something up. And they had everybody throw everything that they could at the wall, like with Resident Evil Retribution, because there's so much shit in this movie that they threw at the wall, man. Now, <laughs> was it too much is the question. Absolutely, it was too much. Now, did it work? <laughs> Hell yeah, it worked. It's a fucking Resident Evil movie, people. It worked perfectly because, listen... 
let's keep it a bean, man. Like, like seriously, anybody that's into these Resident Evil movies, by the time you get to the second one and they introduce Nemesis and and all this type of shit, then when you get to the third one and Alice is manipulating fire, like with the umbrella thing that's going on inside of her body, there are no holds barred after that third movie. So when you get to the fourth movie and they're ripping off uh, Matrix scenes with two Alice clones just slicing through people and shooting up an entire like uh, umbrella corporation and blowing the building up, like by the time you get to part five, I don't want to hear nothing. I don't want to hear nobody complain. This is just too much for a res. It's fucking Resident Evil, man. You know exactly what you're getting into. We knew what we were getting into with the first movie, but we didn't get as much as we bargained for. We didn't get what George A. Romero. R.I.P. to the goat. We didn't get what he put in his original Resident Evil script. He had the spiders in there. He had all types of creatures and everything in that in that uh, in that script. And while George Romero is the greatest man, I feel like that original Paul W.S. Anderson Resident Evil interpretation on screen, I feel like it worked a lot better than George Romero's version would have because. You know, imagine everything we had in the first movie. And the first movie is very tolerable. It's very, um, it's very tame compared to the shit that they started throwing in as the sequels went on. Um, imagine them putting more shit in that movie. I don't think it would have worked as good. You know, I don't think you would have even gave a fuck about Alice or, um, Matt or even Rain's character as much or Kaplan, whoever the characters that were that made it to the end. I mean, some, most, most of them died, but. I don't think we would have cared, gave a fuck about, you know, story and character backgrounds and, uh, you know, the, the plot twists and stuff like that. I don't think we would have cared had we would have had way more in that first movie. So with this movie being the fifth entry, yeah, it's no holes barred. I feel like it all worked because, honestly, Resident Evil Extinction, the third movie, is my favorite. It's the most badass. It's the grittiest. It showed the zombie apocalypse, like I said earlier. But the fifth one probably might be... <laughs> probably easily might be the most entertaining um outside of that third one man because they really let it rip man that chase scene with the big ass liquor with alice and luther and barry in the car and all that they they went for broke and look at them they just they ended up being able to make one more which is the worst in the fucking series and they didn't even do enough they did i'm not even going to jump into that people it's a whole different thing but yeah i feel like for a resident evil movie they did way too much in retribution but it worked because we know what these movies are we know you can walk into the theater actually before you even step in, step foot into the theater unscrew your head take your brain completely out don't leave any fragments in it whatsoever and just enjoy the fucking ride that's exactly what the resident evil movies have been um as the sequels have been going on over the years now whew, 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 i'm just looking at it now let's jump into number three people 1997 it was a good year. I actually saw this in the theater as well. Mortal Kombat Annihilation. God damn, people. This is going to be a little bit different on my end. And I'm, listen, make no mistake. I'm a Mortal Kombat fan. Grew up with the video games, all the video games, well into the other systems. I'm not talking about just Sega and Super Nintendo. I was, I had them on Xbox and all types of shit, man. Um, and I still, you know, play the games now. I'm getting hip to the new ones now and they're pretty fucking fire. But um, even watch the cartoons, had the toys as a kid, everything, you know, the, the comics, everything. Now, <clears throat> that being said, this movie was directed by John R. Leonetti. It was written by Brent V. Friedman and Bryce Zabel. Now, 
before I jump on Brent V. Friedman and Bryce Zabel's case, let's talk about the movie prior. Now, we only had one Mortal Kombat movie prior. That was uh, 1995. Again, oh, Paul W.S. Anderson, go figure, had directed uh, Mortal Kombat, which is his best movie, by the way. That is my favorite movie from Paul W.S. Anderson. Event Horizon being a very close second. Death Race probably being a very close third. Now, however, did Mortal Kombat in 1995 lack? Did that movie lack anything? Absolutely not. Um, I feel like even with the added characters, you know, we got characters that weren't even introduced until um, or at least introduced fighting wise until Mortal Kombat 2. You know, we had uh, a full a full blown reptile whooping Liu Kang's ass up and down the temples of Jerusalem, wherever the fuck they were fighting in Outworld. Um, but reptile, you know, we, we could spot him. And he would throw little hints and shit in the first game, but he wasn't playable until the second game. Princess Katana is another person that was introduced in the first movie who wasn't a playable character until the second, um, you know, the second video game. But, uh, you know, even with these characters that were introduced that weren't in the first game, Mortal Kombat is such I feel like it's such a grounded video game adaptation. It's probably one of the best we have gotten in in decades you know uh for them to pull that off in 1995 and for the fight scenes to still hold up i feel like it's i feel like it's really decent and it's a testament to what video game movies can actually be if you don't do too much and i feel like they put just enough in there we got johnny cage Liu kang and sonya blade basically being the main protagonist of the story with uh you know christopher lambert's rating character kind of being the overseer falling back he didn't have any fight scenes or anything like that but he was he was the old wise man and shit that would come in with the, sh with the straw lampshade on his head and kick knowledge and all that type of stuff that's fine you know and we got a great final fight scene with rightfully so with Liu kang and shang song knock shang song onto the pit of spike so i don't think the movie prior lacked anything i feel like they did a bang up job on the original mortal kombat movie now with that being said, the second film, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, what did we get? Whew, they said, wait, we didn't do the first game justice. Let's 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 blend in part two, three, and four is what they said. And what we got, people, and now listen, make no mistake, I'm a Mortal Kombat fan, and I ain't gonna lie, when I saw this in the theater, I thought I was a kid. I thought this was the Best things since sliced bread, people. Sliced bread with butter on it and jelly. I, I was impressed. I was in awe. I was like a kid in a candy store, man. I really was. Me and my friends. Actually, shout out to M. Right. I don't know if his memory is complete trash, so he probably won't even remember this. But he was one of the people that was in the theater with me when we saw it as kids. But what did we get, people? We got Shao Kahn. We got Sindel. We got Mataro. We got well, we got Mataro with a CG tail. And a CG, uh, you know, centaur body. We got Shiva. We got Rain. We got Ermac. We got Smoke. We got Jax. We got Cyrax. We got Melina. We got Nightwolf. We got Jade. We got Baraka. We got who appeared to be Noob Cybot, who came out of fucking Ermac's body at the end, and they both tag team Sonya. We got not only Noob Cybot, we got three reptiles fighting Raiden, and we got animalities. Yes, people, we got animalities. We got Nightwolf turning into, um, turning from a wolf into a human. We got Liu Kang turning into a dragon. We got Shao Kahn kind of turning into this, like, Hydra, uh, bug looking thing. I don't know what the fuck that thing was. I have no idea. It looked like King Ghidorah if it was, like, 
you know, half insect. I, I really don't know what that thing was. And that wasn't Shao Kahn's animality, by the way. Um, and we all should know this because Shao Kahn, they introduced everybody. They just made everybody animalities in Mortal Kombat trilogy, if nobody doesn't remember that. But, um, yeah, man, we got a lot. They, they, oh, man, they dumped the fucking toy box out in this movie, people. Now, like I said, when I was a kid, that was everything. I'm like, oh, shit, like, look at Mataro's uh, centaur body. I'm a Sag. I can relate to that. Shiva got four arms. Okay, so the bottom half is CG. So what? We got Rain, Ermac. They mentioned Cabal and Striker and all this. I was like, yo, look at Baraka. But then it's like, I got older. I got older and, you know, now I have to ask the question, was it too much? absolutely fucking yes it was too much way too much did it work absolutely fucking not it did not work man and i'm sorry to have to flip modes like bust rhymes in this bitch but the more and more i watch this movie these characters come out of nowhere at least with a you have a little bit tiny bits of backstory just the smallest bit of backstory but these motherfuckers just jump from a portal in the sky with Shao Kahn and you know they don't they don't explain anything at like at all I'm telling you like they don't explain where Jax went like apparently this is the same Jax from the first movie and of course he's played by a different actor they don't explain why he was getting his, you know, his arms, getting the, the the metal on his arms, how the fuck he even got there, how if the world was ending, he didn't know it, they don't explain where Cyrax came from, they do explain the family crest, because, you know, when Cyrax dies, and Melina dies, and all these other motherfuckers, you know, that, that dragon tattoo flies away, and all that other shit, but they don't explain where Melina came from, her, her and Princess Katana are supposed to be, uh, you know, uh, stepsisters or some shit, they, if anything, Melina should have fought instead of Sonya. She should have fought Katana. And, you know, it should have been that dynamic scene with those two. They didn't do any of that shit. Fucking Nightwolf has one scene and he looks like his the way that actor, they got the perfect actor to play Nightwolf because the way they applied the face paint to him and the way they did his, uh, you know, his costume, it looks fucking awesome. They don't explain where Jade comes from. Any fucking thing nothing is explained they don't explain how reptile came back and just duplicated himself or replicated himself <laughs> pun intended replic rep i was about to call him replicile that is actually a new mortal kombat character i just made up on spot people but i'm <laughs> i'm trying to say i don't know how reptile replicated himself into three motherfuckers and was fighting raiden i, I really don't know but they don't say how ermac can produce noob cybot i, I really want to say that was noob cybot because it was a black ninja um, I don't know. They don't say how he can like produce Noob Saibot out of his chest. I there nothing is fucking explained, yo. And I feel like they really went for broke. And I feel like this is exactly why they never made another movie up until now. Now the new Mortal Kombat movie has got an R rating. They look like they got a pretty dope ass cast. Um, they are not releasing until next year, I think. And I'm pretty sure that might get pushed back. Who knows? But I feel like that is there's a good reason we haven't gotten a Mortal Kombat movie since then because I feel like they had to take a step back. Like Midway probably was like, listen, you know, we gave you all this property and y'all shit the bed. So yo, uh, Mr. Leonetti and you Brent V Friedman and Bryce Zabel, get y'all asses over here. Um, take these walking papers. You know, we appreciate what y'all did do and didn't do for us. Get the fuck out of our office because this movie people and it is it's a guilty pleasure i can watch it because some of the fight scenes are cool and some of the costume designs are great some of the costume designs are spot on i love uh 
the way Smoke and Cyrax, you know, look. Of course, they're just, uh, you know, people in suits and shit, but I, I can appreciate the detail that they put into some of the costumes. I can appreciate that, but overall, like, story-wise, and I know a lot of people out there might be like, oh, you looking for a story in a Mortal Kombat movie? What's wrong with you? And it's like, yeah, because I'm one of the people that used to read the, the booklets and, you know, the, the game informers where we get backstories. And these are these are things that you want to look for with these characters when you see them on screen. Like, oh, is uh is our Princess Katana and, uh, you know, Melina going to address the fact that there's stepsisters? Is Shao Kahn going to address the fact that blah, 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 blah? Like, it's like there is there are stories behind all these characters, in-depth stories to the point where they have alliances. They have, um you know, they have enemies. They have allies everything like there there's so much story to be told and i just feel like they didn't take the time out to do any of that shit man so no uh it didn't work man i'm sorry to mortal kombat annihilation but like i said i, I do give it the credit in the sense that it is a guilty pleasure um for me but i i, I don't i don't know man it's, it just didn't work so moving on to number four I, and i was this hurts me man because i was so excited for this i was very excited for this movie people uh Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Out of the Shadows, which came out in 2016. Now, I remember when I saw the movie, I remember taking screenshots and putting it on like uh, Instagram and Facebook. I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, they putting this in there and they putting that in there. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Because again, I was a big fan of the cartoons. I, I, I didn't buy into the comics much, but I was a big fan of all the cartoons, all the video games. You know, I used to play tournament fighters and get fucking headaches because I couldn't beat Ray Filet, for God's sakes. And I always used to play with Casey Jones, you know, in that video game. But I used to get the toys, everything. Everybody remembers the van, the toys that was, uh, you know, they used to shoot the 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 manhole covers out of the front of the the van and all that shit. I was I was a turtles nut, man. I was a turtles geek for real. But um, I, actually, let me just say this. Uh, my favorite will always be the 1990 Ninja Turtles. I don't give a shit if they are Jim Hansen puppets. I love that movie because it's very soulful. It's very emotional. It's very dark in tone and there will be a series of commentaries i do for for movies that were kind of intended for kids but that had a lot of adult humor and dark um toned themes to it and the, the 1990 ninja turtles is definitely one of them the sequel's okay um the third one is just completely garbage i saw that in the theater when i was a kid as well but i when it when i found out they were remaking it and putting you know actors in motion capture suits and layer in the cg on on top of them i'm like eh. but the first one actually wasn't all that bad they had a lot of callbacks to the original which i could appreciate like you know the rooftop fight with shredder and shit like that but it wasn't better than a movie with practical effects you can't beat practical effects and you can't beat you know emotion um but the first one the first remake was okay you know it, it wasn't terrible like everybody made it out to be so in comes 2016 with out of the shadows and this guy named Dave Green was directing. And I'm like, okay, it's a new director, whatever. It was written by two people, uh, Josh Applebaum, no relation to Benita, and someone named Andre Nemec. Now, did the movie lack prior? Uh, for me, not really. Not not really. Uh, the first Ninja Turtles movie, the, the remake, it, it was, like I said, it was okay. It wasn't as bad as everybody made out to be. It, it had some some pretty funny moments in it for me but it was nothing like side splitting funny that i could watch like uh like the like the original film but it didn't really lack you know i i wasn't expecting much but i got more than i expected um now with that being said what did we get uh and this is everything they showed in the trailer they showed everything we were getting in the trailer they left nothing to surprise people we got shredder 
who he had shredder came back you know he was unmasked and he had these still had them badass blades and shit we got bebop and rocksteady i was excited for that because i'm like you can't do a ninja turtle sequel without bebop and rocksteady you got to do that and you owe an apology to the fans of teenage mutant ninja turtles part two secret of the ooze because you had that fucking uh that Dollar General version of Bebop and Bebop and Rocksteady. I don't. I think that was a fucking cat and a turtle that they tried to, um, you know, compensate with. But that shit didn't work at all. I remember when I was a kid seeing that. I'm like, they look like they tried to do Bebop and Rocksteady, but something went wrong. Like the 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 practical effects, you know, masters were maybe like coked up or something. I was like, I got it. Let's do a cat and a turtle. Like it's fucking stupid, man. It was stupid when you look back at it. The shit didn't work. But Bebop and Bebop and Rocksteady, I'm like, okay, I can get down with this. And they show fight scenes with them and the turtles. Bet it. Um Baxter Stockman, uh, who would turn into that fly character from the, the comics and the cartoon. I was cool with that, but I didn't like the fact that Tyler Perry pay, played him. I thought he was really miscast, but I'm like, okay, Baxter Stockman maybe we'll get to see him turn into the fly bet it i'll buy into it we got casey jones who was terribly miscast stephen amnell i think his name is the guy that plays arrow Ugh, i'll i'll get into that in a second people and last but not least what i saw in the trailer which i was super hype about we got krang finally got fucking krang and it was spot on the way that they made krang look in the machine he was in i'm like yo it's going down they are going to go all out and this is going to be the best i'm like this might rival the original ninja turtles movie for me even if it is all cg i was ready they were locked and loaded they gave me so much nostalgia overload was it too much mm, i'm gonna go with yes i'm gonna go with yes because i actually would have been cool with just casey jones and bebop and rocksteady and maybe a stinger for Krang or something like that for the third movie. Or maybe a stinger for Shredder to come back for the third movie, which would make it coincide with the first one. I would have been okay with Bebop and Rocksteady or maybe just Krang and Casey Jones or something like that. Not too many people, but I trusted this movie. That's where I fucked up at. Now, we asked the question, did it work? Oh, fuck no, this movie did not work at all, people. When I say... I, me personally, was so disappointed with this. Even, and I know there are people out there like, it's, just, it's a Ninja Turtles movie. What do you expect, yo? And it's like, I expect the movie to not be trash. That movie's fucking garbage. Bebop and Rocksteady weren't even a threat. Now, I know they were goofy as shit. They always have been goofy, but at least give the turtles more of a run for their money. I want to see the turtles get fucked up. If Shredder's not around and he's getting bitched around by Krang, Krang actually gave them a run for their money. It was it was uh, pretty cool what he was doing with the mechanicals and everything, but even that shit wasn't enough. Casey Jones... I, you know, I don't know if it's just because I hate everything on CW and that guy plays Arrow, but that is not Casey Jones. That is a fucking, um, you know, that's one of the missing members from NSYNC that never made the group and shit. He just hung around the streets of New York, put a fucking hockey mask on and just decided to fight crime because his career in the NHL didn't work out. Fuck that guy, man. That is not Casey Jones. Baxter Stockman didn't do shit, but just goof around and be like, oh my God, this is going to be fun. <laughs> like he's just so fucking goofy. And we didn't even get to see him turn into the fly. That would have been good for some dark element type of shit. Um, uh, and Shredder, you know, he, he Shredder was just Krang's bitch, man. He really was in the movie. He didn't have like anywhere near as intimidation, in, you know, the intimidation factor that he had 
in the original movie, man. So, no, this movie did not work for me, man. Everything that they threw in the mix, they just did not handle it well at all, especially Casey Jones. That shit was a big takeaway for the movie because shout out to Elias Codius, man. I think that's how you pronounce his name. He is him as Casey Jones in the 1990s version of Ninja Turtles. People remember, man. Y'all remember he was gritty. He was grungy. He didn't give a fuck. He beat Raphael's ass with a cricket bat. He didn't care, man. He was hitting on, you know, April O'Neil. One of my favorite scenes in that first movie is when he kind of like forcefully forces April O'Neil to let him give her a massage and she loves it. You know, he sees that she's rubbing her neck and you know, she, she he sees that she's in pain, so he like gra he grabs onto her neck and she like shoves away from him, and he just he puts her down in the chair all forcefully. Then he's like he's just gentle after that. He gives her a massage, and she fucking loves it. I love that fucking guy in that movie, man, and I love the dynamic between him and April O'Neil. The dynamic between Stephen Amell and Megan Fox is just fucking non-existent. He's just like, yeah, I'm Casey Jones, and he's just mumbling under the. It's supposed to be funny, I guess, and she's like. Wait, your name is Stacy Moans, and he takes the you know the mask off. He's like, it's Casey Jones. Hey, how you doing? I just came from Abercrombie and Fitch. You like my outfits? Like, fuck you, dog. You put them skates on, and you're skating away from Rocksteady or whoever the hell, whichever one it was. I fucking hate that movie, yo. I don't hate it. I can watch it like maybe if I'm drunk or something like that, and you know maybe have a dumb fun time with it. But not even my daughter, my five year old child, doesn't even. She's not even interested in that movie. Um, and I don't blame her one bit, man. But, you know, to each their own. That shit did not work for me, people. Now, with that being said, we got the fifth and final, people. And with that fifth and final, I have to, first of all, respectfully, before I jump into this, I have to say, rest in peace to director, writer, Joel Schumacher. Um, we know that he recently passed away. And I put that up as a disclaimer because we know, y'all. if I said rest in peace, Joel Schumacher, y'all know what number five is. All right, the initiated know what I'm know what I'm capping this episode off with, and like I said, respectfully, rest in peace to Joel Schumacher, man. I don't want anybody to come for me or get this shit confused and be like, oh, you're speaking ill of the dead. No, I'm speaking about the art, not the artist. You guys like to separate that type of stuff, right? Um, I'm not one to do it in in most cases, but I feel like. Um, you know, I'm not speaking ill of this guy whatsoever because Joel Schumacher directed uh one of my one of the most underrated movies i've ever seen which was the number 23 with jim carrey and he's done movies like falling down and stuff like that and and he's a you know he was a great director may he rest in peace however you guys know what's coming you guys know what else 1997 brought us batman and robin written by akiva goldsman now let's talk about it Let's talk about it. I, you know, I'm gonna be a little gentle, sensitive, sensitive subject. I know. So, let's talk about did the movies lack prior? I, I don't think so at all. I feel like the original Batman '89 was great. That is how you open it up. Batman and the Joker, perfect. Not nobody else. Just Batman and the Joker. It's basically about them too. Of course, you have Vicky Vale and Alfred and uh, Commissioner Gordon and Knox and um uh harvey dent uh you know you have these characters thrown in there that's all good and well tim burton but tim burton did a bang up job on that movie and the second one i feel like it was uh in a lot of ways a perfect sequel it went darker in tone you introduce uh not only the penguin but you introduce uh introduce the Catwoman, and you introduce penguin's parents who were played by paul rubens who is our beloved Wee herman and the chick i cannot remember her name and i'm so sorry um, who plays Simone, like Pee-wee and Simone from Pee-wee's Big Adventure playing uh, 
Oswald Cobblepot's parents. That is a classic Tim Burton move right there. Genius. But, um, you know, Batman, he's he's torn between two villains. You know, one villain who actually doesn't want to be a villain. The other one who is bent on, like, almost tyranny in a way, which was the Penguin. And, um, you know, they did it right. But then you have another villain added in the mix who's just built on, like, some type of political domination. And I'm not talking about the Penguin. I'm talking about Max Shrek, played by Christopher Walken. But I feel like it was a good balance. Now, enter Joel Schumacher. I can't remember what year uh, Batman Forever came out. Um, and I feel like in Joel Schumacher's defense with Batman Forever, it is not as bad as people make it out to be. It was just a crazy shift in tone from what we got prior. And that was the, one of the reasons behind that was the main reason behind that was that, you know, the studios ex and execs felt like Tim Burton was scaring the shit out of kids. They couldn't even sell toys based on those versions of Catwoman and Penguin. So they had to go back to the original, um, the original designs from like the TV show and the, and the cartoon and shit like that. And I remember that happening because I was a kid, you know, and McDonald's sold toys and shit. So I was just like, wait, this isn't Danny DeVito. This isn't Michelle Pfeiffer. Because they couldn't, they couldn't merchandise off of how dark that fucking movie was. Kids were frightened. And, um, the movie is very dark. There's a lot of uh, sexual innuendo in the movie. You know, babies getting snatched up in the middle of the night. I actually did an episode on uh, pertaining to that movie uh, when I talked about my favorite Tim Burton movies, top five Tim Burton movies, if y'all want to check it out. But the movie was very dark. So I feel like the shift in tone kind of threw people off. Uh, Batman Forever was very, you know, it was, it was way more lighthearted. It was a lot goofier. It was way more colorful. The, it, Gotham didn't seem as dark. It almost seemed like Gotham would be okay because it was run by goofballs. It wasn't run by, you know, henchmen who were, you know, putting fucking gas in inflatable uh, float things at, at parades and shit. You know, it wasn't run by the Red Triangle gang who were just people dressed up like clowns that were jumping in the sewers with people's babies and shit. Like, you know, it was just run by goofballs with two-tone masks on. You know, you had Two-Face and, and the Riddler and all that good stuff. Um, that, did that movie lack? Uh, I don't think so. Because, you know, you even as silly as it is, like I said, it's not as bad as people make it out to be. Um, you know, you had Batman, again, up against two villains. You know, you had him up against Two-Face and uh, the Riddler, but he ultimately ended up having help, which I appreciated back in the day. Not so much now, but I appreciated it back in the day, um, uh, you know, with Robin, Chris O'Donnell's Robin to Val Kilmer's Batman. So you had the tag team. The tag team was born. So then we have, <laughs> what did we get next, people, in Batman and Robin? We got the man, the myth, Arnie, Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. We got his gang uh, skating all over the place. The hockey team from hell, as Robin called them. You get Bat Skates. You get Bane, his or his quick origin story and his transformation. I'm not going to lie. I actually still like the way they did that transformation. I don't know, you know, how much was animation and how much was what. But the way they made it look, it was very creepy. It's very bubbly. It's just weird to watch uh, Bane's transformation sequence. Um, Jeep Swenson is that actor's name, by the way. Rest in peace to him because he passed away some years ago. Uh, we get uh, Pamela Isley, Poison Ivy, played by Uma Thurman, who, uh, you know, she kind of worked for me, but she's very theatrical. She worked in the sense that, you know, her her uh, charisma and how how sexual she was and shit. It's very seductive the way she did that role, even for a goofy ass movie. You got Batgirl. We got the Bat credit card. You got all types of shit. We got a Crayola Gotham City people's uh, Crayola box fell into a blender and that shit exploded. And we got Gotham City, yo. The entire streets of Gotham City covered in ice because Mr. Freeze froze everything in the city and they're just skating along on their new Bat pods. 
and Robin cycles and Batgirl tricycles and all this crazy shit we got in this movie. Was it too much? Hell yeah, it was. I ain't gonna lie. But again, as a kid, when I saw it, I'm like, whoa, they are throwing everything. This is crazy. But then again, I got older. <laughs> and when I watched this movie as an adult, actually as a teenager, let me re let me correct myself. When I watched it as a teenager, I'm like, hold up. I was not old enough to be smoking weed and drinking alcohol back then. Uh, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm completely sober. Like, what 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 is this? What's happening? Even a movie like Batman Forever was goofy. But this shit, they have pulled out all the comedic stops. This shit, they took it literally when they said comic book movie, yo. And again, rest in peace to director Joel Schumacher, man. No disrespect, but brother, brother, up above. I'm looking up to the ceiling right now, please. I need answers. I don't know if this was all Joe Schumacher, if this was studio involvement. Like they were like, wait, what do we got? Mr. Freeze. All right, we need Poison Ivy. Uh, let's throw in Bane, too. Can we get what's that girl's name from Clueless? Can we get her too to play a uh, bad girl? We got Chris O'Donnell back. All right. Uh, MasterCards. Can we get like a bat symbol on that? We need some more color here. Can we get like glow sticks and all this flash? Like it's too much. And if I'm not mistaken, Coolio's in this movie. Coolio's in this movie. And there's a scene where Batgirls, uh, uh, she's having a race with these guys who got this this glow-in-the-dark skull face paint there's a little midget looking kid who's cheering them on like let's go like it's fucking nuts man the shit that th this movie literally can glow in the dark like i'm actually looking at this movie right now i have the you know the the, the batman collection the four film favorites it's got all the first four movies on it i feel like the fourth movie Batman and Robin literally can glow in the dark. I feel like when they finished that movie, the fucking film film reel, when they took that shit and placed it in Warner Brothers Studios, I feel like that shit was glowing in the dark, yo. I kid y'all not, it was neon. It was like a light show. It was like I I I, I don't even know, people. As you can see, I, I'm I'm going off the deep end here. I'm losing my mind. I saved this movie for last because it is one of the most disrespectful Batman films I've ever seen. And you got people out there who hate The Dark Knight Rises? Get the fuck out of here, man, please. I will take Tom Hardy as Bane with a, you know, sounding like he's got a styrofoam cup over his face with an accent. I'll take that. I'll take Anne Hathaway as a kind of sexed out, uh, charismatic, uh, always almost called her cat girl uh Catwoman. i'll take that man i'll take joseph gordon levitt who i kind of low-key didn't really like in that movie but i'll take the dark knight rises man i'll take batman versus superman over this and even that movie's cluttered that actually should be an honorable mention it really should but i'm not going to put that on there not going to do it because it's my favorite movie in the dceu but people yeah, Batman and Robin, I, I'm sorry, man. I, I don't know how many times I can say rest in peace to Joel Schumacher, but that movie is just, nah, I can't do it, people. I can't, not with that one. So, you know, in closing, I want to say this, man, to those 
uh, you know, of course they're not going to take advice from me. They're probably like, oh, you got a fucking audio podcast on Anchor, kid, whatever. And they just, you know, light their cigars up like, you know, let's, let's make more movies and shit and just throw stuff at the wall. They're not listening to me. Those Hollywood execs, they're sitting in their, you know, their um, their offices, snorting coke, drinking uh, Louis the 14th and shit like that, smoking cigars. They're doing all types of shit, coming up with movies and making millions and millions of dollars. And shout out to them, man. But I believe in integrity. I believe in things like, uh, you know the the greater good of the film itself and i don't like uh a gimmick basically and i just had a conversation with someone about gimmicks and it's is very it's it's a big thing now man and i feel like if you're gonna make movies like these and you're gonna throw a whole bunch of shit to the wall like pace yourselves that's the best some of the best advice i can try to give is pace yourselves. You know, if you're going to introduce a whole bunch of things, um, scatter it out. Learn how to tease the audience. You know, if you if you were going to put, in, like, let's just use Batman and Robin for an example. Let's have Batman Robin introduce Mister Freeze. But if you're going to put Poison Ivy in there, let's see Pamela Isley at one point just pass through, and we don't see her again after that. Don't introduce her and then just fucking have her origin story just pop up right after Bane's origin story just popped up out of nowhere you don't do that because you're like you're you're like oversaturating is I think is the word you have to tease like take notes from Marvel to leave little Easter eggs and shit people believe it or not um I feel like directors and writers a lot of them they don't believe in background uh background things you know like not not background gags per se but just things to throw in the background like i said easter eggs you could have had something uh in the background that was promoting pamela isley aka poison ivy's uh you know botanical gardens or whatever you could have had something that was promoting bane's character uh I forgot his real name, but you could have had something promote his character getting locked up and getting, you know, he got broken out of jail by that crazy doctor that pumped him full of venom or something like that. You could throw these things around sparingly and then as the film progresses, you can have them pay off in a really, really spectacular fucking way instead of blowing your load too soon by doing too fucking much. Hence the title of this this episode, people, is is really important. When you're doing movies like these where you are sequels in or maybe it's just the next movie, you know, maybe it's just the second entry in a series. You you have to really learn to balance shit out, you know, depending on your franchise, you have to learn to balance shit out um, unless you are like nine sequels in or something like Resident Evil Retribution, you know what I mean? Or 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 something like a, a, a Spider-Man movie or something like that, you know, you you can you can pace yourselves people you don't have don't get all excited don't get all excited like it's like it's your first rodeo like it's your first time about to bust your nut because i'm telling you it's not going to go the way that you think it's not man you're gonna need a box of tissues handy when you got that lotion next to you and you're really feeling yourself like literally and uh metaphorically like on some shit because i feel like a lot of directors they really get full of themselves and they feel themselves you know, um, and they go off the deep end with these with these ideas. And I feel like certain things you can even save certain things for sequels. Everything doesn't have to be crammed in one entire movie. Um, you know, an honorable mention that could, you know, a lot of people hate X-Men The Last Stand. It's my favorite entry in the series. That's an honorable mention of when movies do too much. But for me, it worked because the second movie kind of lacked for me. 
You know, they, they introduced Nightcrawler and Striker. Colossus was in there for all the two fucking seconds. They introduced, well, they didn't introduce Pyro because he was played by a different actor in the first movie. He only had one scene. But they introduced Pyro and brought him in. But it's like, eh, it was cool in the theater. I'm just like, all right, that's cool. That's all right. But I still like the first one better. So when the third one, when you give me Angel and you give me Dark Phoenix and you give me Juggernaut and you give me uh, Spike and you give me Callisto and you balance all of these things out and you give me Beast, like, I'm cool with that. You know, I'm, I'm cool action-packed it was a little more balanced and it was it was a lot more entertaining so you know it's just all about it's all about spacing things out people and you know if you throw everything at the wall and, it, and a lot of things don't stick pick that shit up and put it back in the bag and just save it for next time you know i guarantee you you can have yourself a nice you know a nice array of uh sequels man and this is just me as a fan you know th- these are the things that i would do personally like i'm not trying to come out there and and like completely bash directors ideas because like i said man these guys are out there making money and you know living the dream they're in the industry not necessarily hollywood but just because i don't really want to be a part of hollywood i'm cool being like independent but they are doing they are in the field uh the creative field that you know i strive to be in like you know writer uh you know uh if i was to one day direct cool that's fine but you know, uh, they're doing the thing, you know, they're, they're living a the dream right now. So, you know, shout out to them. This is just, you know, like I said, my personal unpopular opinions and all that good stuff. But, uh, um, yeah, people, that's, that's really all I have to say about that in the words of Forrest Gump. So if y'all don't, you know, y'all, y'all better know at this point, man, y'all better know y'all need to know, but I know some people out there that don't, and I'm cool with that. So for the ones that don't, which y'all should know, but I'm not going to hold it against y'all. Y'all can follow the podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Breaker, and Radio Public. Shout out to Anchor. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram, Romero Tudor. Follow the Facebook movie group, The Cinemaniacs. Last but not least, shout out to the two the reviewers out there, the listeners, the lovers, the supporters. Y'all are still killing it. Um, and again, again and again, shout out to any new listeners that have been tuning in, man. Um, big, big, big shout out to director Philip Carroll. And um, he actually shouted me out on Facebook, man. He's got a movie coming out called The Honeymoon Phase. If you guys haven't checked the trailer out, please check it out, man. It looks like a crazy psychological thing that plays on how, you know, maybe technology can fuck up your relationship and things of that nature. It's, it's a really you guys got to watch it and, you know, interpret it for yourselves. I did a trailer reaction and my trailer thoughts. uh you know, on the podcast, if y'all want to check that out also, but big shout out to that guy, man, because he definitely showed love to the Tudor Reviews podcast and posted my episode. I appreciate the love, man. Like I said, I, I, I get a, I get way more love and responses from, you know, I, I, you know, for lack of a better word, the lesser known independent filmmakers who actually are really out here making it happen, man. Uh, and they're making better quality films than a lot of shit we're getting in Hollywood right now. So shout out to all the indie filmmakers, writers, actors, producers out there, man. Keep doing y'all thing, man. I will definitely show the love and support back to y'all, especially. But not especially, but, you know, I, I like to balance everything out. But also, not even also, but, you know, again, shout out to the Tudor viewers, man. Because I love you guys just the same, man. Because you guys keep me afloat. And y'all show the love and support. And I show the love and support right back to y'all tenfold. So with that being said, people, yours truly, Romero Tudor. Another episode of Tudor Reviews in a can. I'll check y'all on the next one.